It's always good to hear how God is working in people's lives. Amen. To see the change that he's making in people around us. Great to hear testimonies of those who are being baptized. I hope that you're encouraged by those this morning. Today we're going to be continuing in the book of Haggai. And so if you want to turn there, you can. And a couple of weeks ago we began this series through the Old Testament book. It's important to know a little bit of the context of the book, about what's going on at the time so that we can understand the, uh, the themes that run throughout the book of Haggai. So if you didn't get to hear that message, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's available on our website. It's going to give you some more background for understanding the message of this book, and it's the first part of a two-part message. Today is the second part of that, the latter half. And you can find that on our website. Just go to the media tab, select sermon media, and then choose the message from April 16. That's going to give you a fuller background, but I'll give you a really brief recap. God made a way for a remnant that is a small group of his people to return, to move back to Jerusalem after the nation of Judah had been exiled to Babylon and then Persia because of their idolatry and their rebellion. And their mission was to rebuild God's house. They were supposed to go back and build the temple, but there was opposition, there was difficulty. They laid the foundation, and then for 15 years, they didn't do any work on that foundation. The people made excuses for their lack of activity until God sent a prophet named Haggai to call them to attention. And through Haggai, God called their bluff on the excuses that they were using for why they weren't doing the work they were supposed to be doing. He reminded them that, Although they may feel small and afraid, a, a, a tiny speck in the vast Persian empire, they should not forget that he was still the Lord of hosts, God Almighty, and they needed to obey him. He also pointed out that while they were making excuses for not building God's house, they had built and decorated their own homes, making themselves comfortable while God's house lay in ruins. In other words, theirs was an issue of priority. And in many ways, priorities define our lives, don't they? Not so much what we say are our priorities, but what we actually do, what we actually put into our lives as first place matters, as matters of first importance, those define our lives. If you say that your family is a priority, but you regularly neglect them for work or for your hobbies, are they really a priority? If you say exercise is a priority, but you regularly hit the snooze button and miss your time at the gym, is it really a priority? If you say God is a priority, but you don't spend any time reading his word, you neglect church and you spend all your free time and all of your free money on yourself, is he really a priority? Let me take a moment to step on some toes. Sometimes people won't move unless their toes are stepped on. Amen? But the call of the Christian is an onward, upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And in the words of the Apostle Paul, we are to press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. However, sometimes we get stuck in our lives. We're not moving. We're not prioritizing God. We're going through the motions. We say God is a priority because that's what Christians are supposed to say, right? But in reality, we're not moving. We're stuck. And we need our toes stepped on because otherwise, we won't start moving again. You won't move your feet until your toes are stepped on. And maybe you're claiming God is your priority, but you haven't put him first in your relationships. 
You're dating someone who isn't a believer. You know that they draw you away from God. They're bringing temptation into your life that wouldn't be there otherwise. And they're not drawing you closer to God. They're not helping you get on a path of living your life for God, of surrender to the Lord. You're living with someone to whom you're not married. You say in the middle of all this, God is my priority, but you haven't prioritized him. You say, God is my priority, but you haven't prioritized service in his kingdom. You haven't tried to discern how your gifts, how your skills, how your free time could be used to benefit others. You haven't considered how God wants you to worship and bless him with what he's made you good at. You say God is the priority, but there's never any time in the beginning or the end of the day for his word or for prayer. You have time for your phone. You have time for TV, but you don't have time for him. You claim that God is the most important, but if someone looked at your bank account, they would see that you have plenty of money for Netflix and cable TV and that new iPad, that designer bag, that new pair of shoes, but somehow you don't have anything to give to the church or the poor or to missions. You say that you love God first, but when you're making decisions about your life, it's all about what you think is going to be best for you, and you don't trust in the Lord with all your heart. You, don't, you, you do lean on your own understanding. You don't acknowledge him in all your ways, and yet you want him to make your paths straight. You say that God is your passion, but you seem to be far more passionate about hobbies, sports, and other interests, and there's little passion left over for worship, service, and fellowship. I hope I've stepped on a few toes this morning. That's what I was aiming at. I was trying to do that. Because sometimes having our toes stepped on is indeed the mercy of God in our lives. It's why God sent the prophet Haggai to his people. He wanted to call out the excuses that they were making and to call out their misplaced priorities and to get them moving again in the direction they needed to be going. Listen to how Haggai stepped on some toes. These are from the verses we read two weeks ago. Haggai 1, 1 1-4, he says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Ouch! God called them out. You say it's not time to build my house, but you're building your houses. You say it's not time to build my house, but you've got your houses paneled and decorated and you're comfortable in them. And the point for us is the same as the point for them. You should put first things, in in this case, God, you should put first things first. And last week, we saw that you can do this by remembering who is actually in charge and by cutting out the excuses. And this morning we're going to pick up in verse number five, where we read this. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. And so verse five we find the phrase that we're using as the the title for this sermon series, consider your ways. Literally, it says to set your heart on your 
ways to ponder what's happening in your life with the deepest, most sincere part of who you are. And that points us to the third means of putting first things first. You can consider the consequences. You should put first things first. In order to do this, you need to consider the consequences. What's going on in your life as a result of your decisions and your actions? I think the perfect word to describe what Haggai was talking about with regard to the, the people and what they were experiencing is frustration. You know what frustration is, right? You probably experienced frustration in your own life. It's when you put in an effort to accomplish something, to try to do something, to try to achieve a particular outcome, and you expect to achieve it, but then it doesn't happen. And you're frustrated. You think, I've done what I was supposed to do. You keep doing your best, but failing. That's frustration. When you think you're putting in all the right ingredients, taking all the right steps, but you're not getting the outcome you expected, that's what frustration is. It's an emotion of disappointment and of angst because of what's going on in your life. And sometimes we feel this way spiritually. We want to grow we want to experience God's presence. We want to be used by God. We want to see him move in our congregation. But it seems like it never quite happens like we have in our minds or imaginations or what we've been told has happened in other places. Look at how the remnant of Judah was frustrated. They sowed much, but they harvested very little. They ate and drank, but never to they were completely full to satisfaction. They had clothes, but somehow they weren't warm and we can all probably relate, relate to this last one. It says, he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Seems like money goes out faster than money comes in, right? Costs are rising. The government rarely lowers taxes. They just seem to go up and up. Meanwhile, the IRS just got a windfall budget increase so they can come looking for more. Your money doesn't go as far because of inflation. And every time you go by a gas station, you're reminded you probably should be walking because gas is well over $3 a gallon. I don't think we can interpret the current economic situation in the United States by the status of the remnant of Israel in the book of Haggai, but we can at least relate to the feeling, can't we? And perhaps there is some parallel between our situation and theirs. There can be two kinds of frustration when our priorities are out of alignment. There's the very literal, external frustrations that we experience and we feel through the consequences of our bad decisions. When we fail to honor God with our lives, it, it really probably shouldn't surprise us when things don't work out because we've been disobedient. Sometimes parents want their kids to grow up to love and serve the Lord, but they don't discipline them or prioritize honoring the Lord in their family by making their kids come to church or reading the word of God with them or talking to them about spiritual things, involving them in ministry, praying with them, and then they feel frustrated. But they shouldn't because the outcome is rather predictable. Sometimes people waste their money on stupid things. They don't prioritize needs over wants. They don't discipline their appetites so that they, they forego purchasing everything that they want. They waste money on gambling, and then they wonder why they don't have enough. Sometimes people are trying to fill a hole of insecurity in their lives, and so they get involved with romantic relationships with, with people that they're dating, and they, they don't honor the Lord. This person might take advantage of them or neglect them, and then they're frustrated that the relationship isn't going the way that they want, and things seem to be falling apart. Sometimes our frustrations are external, 
and we should be able to see why we're frustrated. Other times, the consequences of our sin bring frustration, and when that frustration comes, the appropriate response is to consider your ways. Look at what's going on in your life. Think about the consequences. But there's another kind of frustration that it's not just caused by external factors, but it's sometimes caused by internal factors. This happens when life appears to be going very well by every common measure. Your life isn't falling apart. Maybe your finances are are in order. You're doing great in your job. Your family appears happy, and yet you're frustrated. You, You live with that sort of proverbial quiet desperation, wondering if your life matters that so many people live with. And sure, you've got more opportunities, you have more stuff, you get more days off than most people do, but there's a gnawing feeling of emptiness on the inside. You've got what everyone said you needed in order to be happy, but somehow you're not. And perhaps that's because you've not prioritized what's most important, the Lord. Notice how the Lord took credit for the frustration of the people. Haggai 1, 9 to 11. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors." Listen, sometimes our frustration comes from the Lord. Maybe it's very literal frustration because we're not succeeding even though we think we're doing all the right things that we need to do in order to succeed. Maybe it's an internal frustration because we are succeeding but we still don't feel satisfied. Frustration may not always be from the Lord. We we need to think about and consider that there are circumstances in which we're opposed by the world or by a spiritual enemy, and we need to stand firm. We need to persevere in the work God has called us to do. But perhaps we can say that frustration should at least cause us to consider our ways, to think about the way our lives are going and ask the question, could this be because I've not honored God and put him first? Could I be feeling frustrated, experiencing dissatisfaction because the priorities of my life aren't in order? Because I was created to seek something and be satisfied by someone and I've not sought him and so I can't be satisfied by him. Sometimes our frustration is indeed a wake-up call, a stepping on our toes from the Lord so that we will begin to move in the direction he, want us, he wants us to go. You may know that God has called you in a particular direction. You sensed that call from him. He he was preparing you, opening doors, but then you, you became afraid and you backed away from what you knew he wanted you to do. You didn't think you would make as much money if you served that way. You thought you weren't qualified and so you didn't pursue it. You thought people would judge you or that they were going to oppose you or you made one of a multitude of other excuses for not doing what God asked you to do. You justified it by saying that you you still love Jesus, you're still going to church, you still give, but it wasn't time for you. It wasn't time for you to start tithing or giving to missions or to the renovation. It wasn't time for you to start serving. It wasn't time for you to start praying. It wasn't time for you to start witnessing. And now you're frustrated. 
Let me just encourage you that if you feel frustrated, consider your ways. That's what the prophet Haggai told the people to do. Set your heart. Think about the consequences of your life and your frustrations with the deepest, most sincere part of you. Be honest before God and with yourself. Consider, why am I experiencing this frustration? Because sometimes frustration is a discipline from your loving Heavenly Father to help you turn around. And the solution is simple. It's not always easy, I'm not saying that, but the solution is straightforward, it's simple. Haggai told the remnant of God's people exactly what God wanted them to do in verses seven to eight. He said, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Sometimes we make obeying God complicated, don't we? We make the, circum- the, 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 we make the solutions to our circumstances more complicated than they really have to be. We say good things like, you should live for God's glory, but we leave it vague. And here, Haggai tells them exactly what will please God and bring him glory. They were supposed to go to the hills and get wood, the materials that they would need, and then they were to rebuild the temple, God's house. Now, you might just need a straightforward nudge today as well. You're frustrated and you know that you need to honor God, so what do you do? I don't think we interpret this by by saying that we all need to go for a hike and gather wood, though a hike might do you some good. I, I enjoy hikes. But that's probably not the application for your life. But maybe you do need to break up with that boyfriend or move out because you know that you're not honoring God and you're not going to get to a place of honoring God by doing something that dishonors God. Maybe you need to start giving and putting God first in your finances because it will honor him when you trust him with your money. Maybe you need to start reading God's word and praying at the beginning of the day because that would be giving him the place of priority. Or perhaps you know he's called you to some specific kind of ministry and you've been avoiding it. Consider your ways. Stop making the excuses for your frustration and instead repent and do what you know is right. Do what you know is going to please the Lord and honor him. To put it in the words of Jesus, you're forgiven, go and sin no more. Consider your ways. Put God first and honor him. The people heard Haggai's words from the Lord, and in one of the more encouraging responses to any prophet in the Bible, they actually did what he said. Now, if you've read the Bible and you've read the Old Testament, you'll realize how incredibly rare this is. Most of the time, God called prophets, and nobody listened to them. Nobody nobody heard what they said and obeyed. But in this case, we get an incredibly encouraging response. The people hear the word of God, and they actually do it. It's a sad thing that it's surprising for God's people to obey his voice, but that's the history the Bible shows us, and sadly, it's often still the case. Verses 12 to 13 tell us, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. Notice how verse 12 tells us that the people feared the Lord. And the fear of the Lord that they had, it wasn't expressed in terror, 
It was expressed in obedience. They feared the Lord, and so they obeyed. They knew the prophet of God was correct. They felt the conviction of his words, and so they obeyed. And this should be our response to God's word as well. It's true that God's word brings encouragement, and it brings comfort, and it gives wisdom, whether we're reading it for ourselves, or we're hearing it taught, or we're hearing it preached. But God's word also brings correction. And when that's the case, repentance and obedience should be the result of hearing his word. But there's something very encouraging here, even in the midst of correction, in the midst of discipline, in the midst of the fear of the Lord. The the Lord said to his people, I am with you. I am with you. What a comfort and an encouragement this must have been. They hadn't carried out the desire of the Lord. They hadn't rebuilt the temple. Their faith was slow. It was sluggish. And they were making all kinds of excuses. They were even experiencing hardship and difficulty that came from God because of their disobedience and their lack of faith. And yet, God had still not abandoned his people or his purposes for them. And what a reassurance that is to us. Has Jesus not told us, I am with you always, even to the end of the age? I think we can admit that we've not always been as faithful as we should be to carry out his purposes with the faith and the zeal that we ought to have for him. But does he give up on us? Does he walk away from his purposes and does he walk away from his people when we fall short of what he expects us to do and of what he's called us to do? Thank God he does not. He may very well discipline us in those moments. He may step on our toes, but that is for our good so that we might move in the direction he wants us to go. And the good news of the prophet Haggai is that when we begin to move, the Lord says, I am with you. When we begin to obey, the Lord says, I am with you. And he will stir our spirits by his grace. And we have to respond in obedience, continued obedience when he does this. And that's the final aid in putting first things first. You can count on God's faithfulness. Sometimes putting first things first is a little bit intimidating. We don't know what the outcome will be. Sometimes putting God first, making him the priority, puts you in situations where you'll be at odds with others, or it doesn't look like, hey, this is going to be the most lucrative way to lead my life, giving my money and my resources away. It doesn't look like it's going to be the the best way for me to get what I feel like I need or have my needs met. And yet when we do what God wants us to do, the Bible assures us over and over again, you can count on God's faithfulness. If as we've talked about putting God first, you felt that the burden was too great for you, or you imagined that all I'm talking about is buckling down and just trying harder in your own strength, this is good news. Yes, God wants our willing cooperation. He wants us to be involved, to strive, to do our best. Yes, we must work out our own salvation. Paul's words in Philippians 2.12 summarize this passage in Haggai so well. Paul is encouraging the church in the city of Philippi there, and he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Obedience is the result of the fear of the Lord. 
And God does not want us to sit passively and engage in, uh, but, but instead of passive, he wants us to engage in obedience and the things that are going to bring pleasure and glorify him. But that may be discouraging to you. Perhaps you want to do good, but you also know the frustration of not feeling like you've got the strength to carry out the good that you wish that you could do. And there's good news because Paul did not stop there. He continued writing and he says in Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Work for God is at work in you. He is working to make you pleasing and someone who will indeed glorify him. So don't grow so discouraged with yourself that you give up. Instead, trust the Lord again. Lean on him. Believe his promises so that you can move in obedience to him once again. He is with you. He will not abandon his people. He won't abandon his plans. And the story of Haggai continues, and we see God's work in the people in verses 14 to 15. It says, And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. The Lord stirred up. He awakened. He sparked enthusiasm in the leaders of the people and in all the people, and they worked on God's house. Isn't this the very same thing that God does and promises to do in us? Ephesians 2.22 tells us that we are the temple of God and that his Holy Spirit dwells in us. In other words, we are inspired. God's Spirit lives in us. He dwells in us, and he will stir us up and spark our enthusiasm and our purposes for God. Of course, we must be willing and we must be obedient, but we shouldn't think that this is all just up to us, that we've just got to try a little bit harder. The Holy Spirit is at work in the people of God. And so when we feel God stepping on our toes... And we feel like, I need to move in the direction God is telling me to move. And we're afraid, I don't know what that's going to look like. How can I do this? I don't feel like I'm qualified. I don't feel like I'm strong enough. I've tried before and been frustrated because I didn't have the strength to carry it through. I have good intentions, but I wasn't able to fulfill them. And we feel like God's moving me, but I'm not sure I can do it. What should we do? We should say, God is faithful. Yes, he calls me to work, but he also says, I am at work in you to bring about my good pleasure and to fulfill my purposes and to bring glory to my name. Yes, work, but know that God is at work in you. And don't respond to his call to move forward by merely thinking, I have to do this in my own strength, but instead understanding God is faithful. When we sense the Lord's call, when we feel his conviction and he speaks to us in a variety of ways that he speaks through his word or through a gift of the spirit or through the wise words of other believers or through the circumstances of our lives or through the prompting of the spirit, that still small voice that he uses to minister to us and to direct us and to correct us. We shouldn't fear that we can't proceed because we'll just let, our so let ourselves and God down again. Instead, we should move forward with the faith God is with us. He will stir us. Christian, 
If you're afraid of obedience because of what others might do or because of a fear of failure, the word of God today calls you to fear the Lord more than you fear others or even more than you fear your own weakness or failure. Failing to obey is worse than obeying and thinking you failed. Failing to obey the Lord is worse than obeying and looking like a failure. Your obedience is not based on your strength, but on God's faithfulness. He says to you, I am with you. And his plans may look too daunting for you. His call may feel intimidating. We may doubt ourselves, but we must learn to trust his faithfulness. His faithfulness is greater than your fear and your past failures. Express that faith in God through obedience to him. Step out and trust that God is going to be there as you follow his lead. The last verse of our passage says this. It says, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. We were informed a couple of weeks ago back in the first verse that Haggai's message came on the first day of the month, which means that this turnaround took about 23 days. They quickly went to the hills began gathering the materials that they would need, and then they swiftly began to do the work on God's house that he called, him, called them to do. They didn't linger, and they didn't wait. They did consider their ways, but that didn't turn to some extended time of self-loathing and navel-gazing. They took the word of the Lord, recognized its truth, responded in faith, and they obeyed. Perhaps there's a day like that in your past, a date that you can remember. A date when you would say, this is the day that I heard the word of the Lord, and I was convicted, and I believed in Jesus, and I began to follow him. It probably wasn't in the second year of King Darius. If that's the case, wow, you've made it a long way. But maybe you've got a date in your mind that you'd say, that's the day that God called me, and I responded by faith in obedience. But perhaps there's another turnaround that needs to take place in your life. And maybe today could be that date for you. Perhaps there are misplaced priorities in your life, and maybe you've toyed with the idea of getting them in order. And today you came into the house of God, and you felt like God stepped on your toes. And he's wanting you to move He's wanting you to go somewhere. He's wanting you to stop intending and start obeying. Perhaps you know what God has called you to do and you've been offering excuses and you've been delaying for a long time. Maybe it's turned into some kind of self-loathing and navel-gazing where you're just focused on, man, I can't do anything right and I can't seem to get this together and you're just stuck in that moment of discouragement. Maybe you're frustrated with life and today the Holy Spirit has revealed to you that that frustration is because your priorities are out of order and God is not first. He's not first in your family. He's not first in your time. He's not first in your finances and he's not or he's not first in some other area of your life. What if today could be a date that you look back on and say on the 30th day of the fourth month in the 2023rd year of our Lord, I had victory over my frustration when I heard the word of the Lord and I responded in obedience to him. 
On April 30, 2023, I turned from my excuses and I believed the word of God and trusted that if I obeyed God, he would meet me there because he is faithful and he did. What if today could be that date for you? What if today could be the date, much like at the end of the first chapter of Haggai that says, this is when the people heard the word of the Lord and this is when they obeyed. What if that could be the day for you today? Maybe it will be. I believe it could be. Or perhaps for you, today will be the day you look back and say, on April 30, 2023, I heard the good news about Jesus, maybe for the first time, or I heard the good news about Jesus, maybe for the thousandth time, but April 30, 2023 was the day that I believed and I surrendered my life to the Lord. This could be that day for you in your life. If you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus and you're living in frustration, that's because you were made for a relationship with God and you're not going to be fulfilled without that. You can chase significance yourself all day long and you can try to live your truth as long as you want to, but let me just share something with you. If you were not created with self as the goal, but with God as the goal, then you can find yourself all day long, every day for the rest of your life, and you'll never be satisfied. Because you weren't made for self. You were made for something bigger than self. What's worse is that even if you can find some kind of satisfaction and peace in this life, you will be eternally dissatisfied when you find out that you rejected eternal life and the Lord of all creation for your own imaginations and temptations. At some point in their lives, everybody is trying to find themselves, trying to find their truth, or trying to make their own identity. And God calls that sin. And he, he tells us that we all sin, and we all fall short of his glory, because we're trying to make life about us and trying to make ourselves the goal of life. But you're not the goal of life. Newsflash. You're not the goal of life. You weren't created just for you. And so if you pursue you the rest of your life, and even if you find you, you're going to be eternally dissatisfied with you because you were made for something bigger than you could ever fill yourself. But God did not leave us in the futility of seeking our own solutions. He provided the perfect solution when he sent Jesus, his son, God in the flesh, to die for you. And even though he didn't deserve death, he took the punishment for our sin, the ultimate mark of futility, death. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, died for your sin. But God raised him up on the third day, and he has made him the standard for how everyone else is going to be judged. If you trust him, receiving his death as your death, and his life as your life, you'll be saved. You'll have eternal life. If you reject him, you reject life, and you will be subject to eternal death and futility apart from him, eternal judgment. But today, April 30. 2023 can be the day you receive his free gift. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so this morning, I want to ask if you've heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus today, you felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you have believed that Jesus died for your sins, 
and you believe that God raised him from the dead, and you want to confess that today, believing on him, trusting him, and surrendering your life to him, April 30, 2023 could be the day that you look back on and say, it was that day that God changed my life. I heard the word of God. I'd heard it before, but I didn't understand it. I'd heard it before, but I rejected it. I'd heard the word of God before, but I was too stubborn and rebellious. But on April 30, 2023, God got my attention. He called me to account. He stepped on my toes. And then he told me that if I would trust him, he would be there. And he will be. So I'm going to ask if you just close your eyes for a brief moment. Listen, raising your hand in a church service, praying a prayer that you repeat after me, that doesn't save you. Those are things that we do so that we can identify you, we can help you when we see you later, we can encourage you, we can help you to understand how to express your faith in words. We do those things to help you express your faith and confidence in Jesus, but those things don't save you. This is something that, as the prophet Haggai said, consider your ways, set your heart on your ways. This is something that happens as you look at your life and as the Holy Spirit is here today convincing you, you've been wrong, you've been running from me, but I still love you. I want you to turn to me. I'll be there when you do. As he convinces you of that, you turn to him and you respond. And so I'll pray and help you put that into words. But it is a matter of you confessing with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. He's my Savior. I'm not Lord. I'm not the goal of my life. Self, Stephen, me, I'm not the goal of my life. But he is Lord. He's the goal of life. And I believe he died for my sin so that I could be restored to him and that God raised him from the dead so that I don't have to suffer eternal death but can have new life. If you want to make that confession of faith today, April 30, 2023 can be the day you turn to the Lord. I'm going to ask you to do something simple but bold. This doesn't save you, but it's a way for me to identify and pray with you. If that's you, you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus and you want to confess him and believe him today, would you just lift up your hand? If that's you, you don't know Jesus as your Savior. You've never surrendered your life to him. You haven't, you haven't put him first in your life. You haven't honored him. You've turned away from the message of the gospel. You've rejected that message over and over. But today you want to say, I believe Jesus. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand so I can pray with you? Thank you, ma'am. Is there anybody else? You don't have that relationship with God through Jesus, but you want to begin that today. I'm going to pray. This prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you as you put your faith in him, I'm just gonna pray to help you express your trust in him today. And in a few moments when we gather for prayer here at the front, I'd encourage you before you leave, you come down, you speak to myself or one of our other pastors or deacons, deaconesses, and share with them that you have committed your life to Christ because we wanna help you continue to follow him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name we come to you. And I confess to you, Lord, my sin. I've made myself the goal of life and I've pursued me rather than pursuing you. Today I confess that. I believe, Jesus, that you died for that, that you died because I was not right with God, and I believe that your death paid the price for my sin, and I thank you. Thank you that you died for me, though you didn't deserve it. But I also believe today that the Father raised you from the dead on the third day, and I want new life in you. Lord, you know the frustration of my life, you know the frustration of seeking my own way. You know the consequences of sin in my life. I need your help. Please forgive me. Wash and cleanse me and make me right with you. I want to know real life, eternal life through Jesus. And so today I surrender my life to you. I give you my all.
and I'm going to follow you as you strengthen me. Lord, as I take this step of faith, I ask humbly that you would meet me, you would direct me, and you would strengthen me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Believer, you may know the Lord, but you may also have some priorities in your life that are out of place. To put first things first, you should consider the consequences. Do the outcomes of your choices reveal that you're honoring God, or does your frustration reveal that you haven't put him in the first place that he deserves? And you can count on God's faithfulness when you obey, trusting that he is with you and will strengthen and inspire you when you submit to his word. April 30, 2023, may be a great day of change for you as well. Maybe not because it's the day you gave your life to Christ for the first time, but because it's a day where you recognize my priorities are out of alignment and I want to make them right before the Lord. A day when frustration can give way to surrender and obedience. A day when the fear of peace People and the fear of risk could give way to the fear of the Lord and obedience in the strength of the Holy Spirit. And we have a few moments left, but I want to just ask you to consider your ways. And I'd ask as you do that, don't leave it vague. Don't pray a prayer asking the Lord to help you honor him in some way that you're not sure about and don't specify. If your priorities are out of order, if you've been disobedient, I invite you to come in just a moment and to be specific to say, today, I've heard the word of the Lord and I'm responding in faith. Come and make a confession to the Lord of disordered priorities and, and mark your calendar, so to speak. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I turn from my frustration and misplaced priorities to walk in obedience, specific obedience to the Lord. Come make an altar to the Lord. Let the Holy Spirit inspire you and move you and speak to you how to properly arrange your life for the Lord. Christian, this is just going to be a simple, straightforward thing. And if you're afraid to come, that's up to you. But if you just say, I need to make my priorities right, I want to mark my calendar, I am frustrated with some things, and I want to spend a few moments before I go seeking the Lord, praying for his help, and, and confessing, Lord, today. In this specific way, I've heard your voice. You've stepped on my toes, and I don't want to just sit there with that weight on my toes so that I eventually fall over because I can't move, but I want to move my feet and walk in the direction you've called me to go. Would you just come and make a place of prayer? Come quickly so that we can spend a few moments in prayer. If that's you, you just know that there's that out-of-orderedness in your life. There's that lack of priority. I'm going to ask if we could just close our eyes for a moment just to give that little extra bit of sense of privacy and sincerity before the Lord. If you know that you're frustrated in life and you're sensing the Lord in a specific way saying, I'm out of order. The priorities, the frustrations, they, they're coming because I've not been walking in obedience. Would you come and just make a place of prayer? Mark your calendar today. Let this day be a day when you said, man, I remember April 30, 2023 because I laid my frustration, my fears, my failures before the Lord and he met me and he enabled me. Prayer partners, would you come and just begin to pray with people? We're going to spend a moment waiting on the Lord. Congregation, would you just begin where you're at to pray and to seek the Lord? Asking him to help you if you need his help. If you want to come and pray, you can do that. Let's make a place of prayer right now. Lord, we seek you today. We wait on you on this Sunday morning. Lord, we don't want to run out of your presence thinking, oh, that was a great service. What a wonderful sermon. And then we don't go and, and do what you've told us to do. 
Lord, we don't want to feel our toes stepped on and be offended by men, nor do we want to feel our toes stepped on and leave and receive the comfort of this world. Lord, as you minister to us this morning, as you call to account, as you re as you reorder priorities, Father, we ask that you would help us to humbly surrender to you. Holy Spirit, I pray for those who are in need of your help that you would specifically speak and minister to them today. We pray, Father, that we wouldn't leave it vague, that we wouldn't just say, oh yeah, Lord, I, I want you to help me to honor you. But Lord, for some, I believe that there are very specific ways that they know their lives are not honoring you. They know they've not walked in obedience. They know there's a lack of priority. And Lord, I pray that you would help them today to make that same commitment Lord, to go to the hills, to get wood, to bring it back and to build God's house. Maybe for them that will look like setting aside a time at the very beginning of the day to prioritize time with the Lord. Maybe for them it will look like not spending resources on things that are frivolous, but dedicating resources to the work of the Lord and his kingdom and his church. Maybe, Lord, it will look like those who are in relationships and they know they're leading them from God and they'd say, today is the day I cut that off. I'm not gonna go that way any longer. I know what God has called me to and I'm going to walk with him and as painful as it might be I'm walking away from this relationship that dishonors God maybe Lord it's some other in equally sinful thing and people are saying this morning I need to get this out of my life because I can't claim I'm honoring God and yet I'm frustrated if I've not considered my ways and walked in obedience to the, obedience to the Lord so Father we pray for your conviction specifically we pray for the direction of the Holy Spirit Lord Jesus you are able in these moments to give wisdom, to specifically direct how we need to move, what we need to be doing, where we need to follow you. So today, Lord, we wait for you. We want this day to be a day of significance in our lives, a day, Lord, when we remembered, we turned, and we followed you. Father, we thank you for that. We pray for those who have come and made a place of prayer, made an altar to you this morning. We pray that this would be a day marking their calendars recognizing a change that has taken place in the frustrations of their lives and in the places of their hearts where they felt like they just haven't been able. They haven't been able to fulfill their best intentions. Holy Spirit, I pray that even now you begin to meet them. You begin to assure them of your faithfulness, of your love. You begin to assure them of your grace and the fullness of your presence. And you begin to put in them the strength, stirring them up, Lord, to do your work enabling them to do what they haven't been able to do in their own strength to this point. And Father, we pray that as a congregation, you would stir us to do your work as you did your people in Haggai. Lord, we dare not ask that we would be stirred up and yet continue to live in an unwillingness to follow what you're asking us to do. And so as a church, Father, we ask that you would Help us to be humble and faithful to do what you're calling us to do, to put you first, to make you the priority in every way, to acknowledge you in all that we're doing as a congregation, to acknowledge you in all that we're doing as a community, so that, Father, as we move forward in your purposes and your plans, we can say, Lord, stir us, and we can experience the empowering work of the Holy Spirit to accomplish what we cannot hope to do on our own. We need your anointing. We need your zeal, Holy Spirit. Would you fill us and enable? Lord, we thank you for these things. We believe you to do them. 
We take hold of your promise today, even as you said to a people who had been distracted and disobedient, as they began to walk in obedience, you said, I am with you. Today, Father, we take that promise and we go in that assurance. I am with you. May we trust your faithfulness. May it overcome our fears, our fears of failure, our fears of risk, our fears of others, and may it enable us to serve you rightly. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for that. You can continue to pray if you want to. If you would like someone to pray with you, our prayer partners are here. We would be happy to do that. Otherwise, just go in an attitude of reverence and respect as there are those who are continuing to seek the Lord. We will see you again on Wednesday as we gather again for prayer. Go in God's grace and in his peace.